Good afternoon and welcome to Finding Cost Savings with Legacy Data Management, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Harmony Healthcare IT. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation today. You could send your questions and comments in at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll have a little poll we're going to do later, get your reaction, and we'll have our panelists guess at your responses, which is always a lot of fun. Um, regarding a, a nice way to set up your screen today, you can click at the top in the center, get it into side-by-side -side mode, then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes how you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner to get it to that view. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring David Lundell, CIO at Children's Minnesota, Lori Page Santa Cruz, Director, Enterprise Architecture with Northern Light Health, and Jim Hammer, VP of Operations and Product Development with Harmony Healthcare IT. So let's jump right in and get started. We're going to have a good conversation today. Dave, can you start off by giving us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, happy to. So um, first of all, Dave Lundahl, I'm the Chief, Inf <coughs> Chief Information Officer at Children's Minnesota. I've uh, been there for about 15, 16 months, something like that, very much enjoying it. Children's Minnesota is a uh, independent, freestanding uh, pediatric hospital and health system. It's been that way since 1924. Uh, it does business primarily in the, the Twin Cities region, but uh, we draw patients from a five-state uh, five draw of the Dakotas, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Um, and uh, excel in many things, and I'm very much enjoying being there. Excellent, Dave. Thank you. Lori? Hi there. Yes, I'm Lori Page Santa Cruz. I'm at Northern Light Health, um, which is the most expansive healthcare system in Maine. You might formerly have heard of us as EMHS. I've been there about 23 years, and over that time, I've seen us grow from a single hospital to over to <clears> 10 <throat> hospitals. Um, we have uh, about 650,000 practice visits at uh, 37 primary care locations, which will be important to our talk today because every one of those had a different EMR. <laughs> and um, I have a few roles, but the one that brings me here today is Enterprise Architect. And um, it's my role to know a little bit about every application and use throughout Northern Light Health. Um, so I run the program that aims to reduce that large number of applications and um, consolidate our end user population into enterprise wide applications wherever possible. Um, as you can Excellent. imagine, yeah, uh, preserving ahead. legacy data is a topic that comes up daily for me. So this is going to be a lot of fun <laughs> to my, share my experience with you here today. Excellent, Lori. Looking forward to it. Jim? Uh, Jim Hammer, uh, VP with Harmony Healthcare IT. Uh, we are a health data management organization, so we any data-related uh, process service challenge from data extraction, migration, and a heavy emphasis on data decommissioning and archival uh, is what we do. Uh, we've got two offices. We're headquartered in South Bend, Indiana, uh, with a nationwide, actually, North American reach. Um, uh, clients really in every state, and um, uh, look forward to the panel today. 
All right, very good. All right, first question, Dave, we're going to start with you. What steps was your organization forced to take in terms of uh, canceling elective procedures to combat COVID-19, and what was the financial impact? Yeah, Anthony, I think um, any and all are the steps that, that we had to take, and so I think uh, any any listeners from uh, any health system across the country probably had to take these steps of reducing elective procedures uh, at their governor's request. Um, and I think in addition to that, a lot of uh, what was was still open, uh, patients self-elected or family self-elected to to stay home, and we switched to virtual. Um, the the impact on that was was uh, quite uh, quite severe in the in the millions and millions of dollars. Luckily. The um, there's there's been federal and state relief, uh, and that was has been very very helpful and continues to be very very helpful. But uh, despite that, um, you know we did have to do uh, again what a lot of health systems have done, and we we did the belt tightening. So you know from a from a budget standpoint, we did everything that uh, you might expect when uh, and any of us have been through hard you know tough budget times where you. Uh, hey, travel's done, education's done. Um, and do we have any consultants here? Can we can we get the consultants uh, out and and stop the stop the burn rate on that? We did those things, but also there were pay cuts and also there were furloughs. Um, and uh, and and I think things continue. Uh, seems like we've weathered the storm, but it was a quite impactful uh, thing. COVID has been to us. Jim, what did you see among customers? Yeah, I think on the onset, it was pretty acute. So kind of day one of kind of nationwide shutdown, uh, a lot of our IT counterparts really got shifted to hypercritical things like standing up additional facilities, uh, setting up Wi-Fi, any kind of connectivity for the, you know, the expected influx of patients. So that immediately stopped cab processes pretty much across the board uh, for a period of really March, um, uh, which kind of forced us to move into how could we augment services to help our customer partners so they could focus on those things. But uh, after March, it kind of picked back up and and now we're actually seeing, you know, a lot of folks coming back and starting back up on their projects really uh, in earnest uh, if they slowed those down. All right. Very good. All right. Um, next question, Dave, again, uh, has the financial impact on the organization affected the IT budget? And if not, do you expect it to? Yeah, I think this this year, you know, obviously our budget was impacted, and we're going to come in several million dollars under what uh, what was budgeted for the year. Um, projects that were were on the plate were were put on hold and have not been been turned on yet. Um, positions that we had uh, in the budget added to the budget; those have been been put on hold. Um, in in some instances, where when people have left, we have decided not to fill those positions <clears throat> at this time. So. Uh, different impact on this year. Now, next year's budget, um, you know, we're just starting to get into the budget season, Anthony. Uh, and um, so we haven't had the ask to us, but I think the, uh, you know, the anticipation is a very difficult thing to try to figure out what is next year going to look like. And I think that, you know, I give so much credit to the financial planners um, that, that try to prognosticate what's going to happen, but you, so you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what are volumes going to gonna gonna be and they, they've they've come back but they haven't come back to pre-covid levels yet so what you know how's that gonna extend 
you know, and I think the, think the other thing, and, and you try to use the, the past as a guide and, and, and for us, like, all right, what happened in 2008? What was it like for the next couple of years after that? And, uh, you know, we're clearly moving into, you know, something like a recession uh, type activity and a recession type activity, things like your payer mix changes. And if your payer mix changes to more, more governmental payer, uh, maybe even more with with no insurance, your reimbursement rate's going to decline. So um, I think in any of the prognostication, I think what's going to come down is, uh, hey, folks, it's going to be revenue is going to be less than it was than we were planning for. So therefore, uh, IT and all other departments, what can we do to uh, match expenses to that lower revenue? So I think we're going to be heading into a tough budget season. And Dave, I mean, is, governance is always important, but when you have to uh, reduce the budget, it's even more important, right? So it's, hey, okay, we have a smaller pie to work with, so now we, we have to be even sharper about the things that we can do because we can't do everything, right? So tell me about the importance of that. Yeah, governance is governance is critical. And, and I always found, Anthony, it's it's a twofold governance, right? So I think there's the the, the governance on the big projects, maybe the big technologies. Uh, and that's an important one. But often that's the, the easier one to do. And, and you know, you as a CIO, uh, you can work with the senior leadership team. And, and as long as you've got your team kind of lined up, guys, what are the projects? And, and we have to know ourselves, right? So if we have projects A through A through F, uh, you know, put, putting up the, the technology budget, okay, what might we need to pay outside our four walls to do these things, but also how much time is it going to take us to do these? So you have to know yourself and how much what the capacity is and the demand match that. But you can have those conversations on the, on the big items with, with the senior team, and it's important to do that. And I think a lot of organizations do do that. Where you get tripped up is all of the dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of other requests that fall in the category of they're, they're too small to really go through, a, um, you know, you don't need to bother the senior team with them, but when you add them all up, uh, you could die a death of a thousand cuts with all of that demand. So having governance in place for those as well is a critical, critical item. And without both, um, your, you and your team are really going to still suffer with um, <clears throat> what happens is uh, you get into the, uh, it's a very passive, it ends up being, seen almost like a passive aggressive no, because you can't do everything. And so people think that things, hey, I, I followed the procedure, I asked for this, you know, where is it? Um, and it turns out that you can't do it. And so then that's, that's where dissatisfaction with IT can come in. So you have to have both levels of, of governance, both for the big and for the small things coming through. Wow. Excellent. Excellent point, Dave. Appreciate that. Um, all right. Next question, Lori, let's start with you. What are uh, some of the ways that IT can reduce expenses and is reducing the application portfolio? I, I would say, of course, it is one. Is it a major one of these? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, by reducing your application portfolio, you have the opportunity to really reduce the operational burden of um, maintaining availability of systems, of maintaining access to them, of maintaining any backups and, and redundancy for, you know, preservation of the data. And frankly, they just take up space in what's a pretty precious data storage environment. So, you know, all of these things have a cost to them and they're a big part of what helps build a compelling ROI for doing what we here at Northern Light Health call application rationalization. So yeah, definitely. 
All right. Very good. Uh, Jim? Yeah, I think I think to that end, when we, we do our discovery with clients, um, we go through a rationalization process and prioritization kind of review. And expense reduction is, is primarily a key driver, certainly, um, for, for the business, um, you know, as well as other things like reliability of infrastructure and such and stability and resource capability to support those applications. But a key driver is, is usually always expense reduction and, and looking to decommission, you know, past inventories um, moving towards our production systems. So, Jim, that's that's part of the service or an additional service. So, for example, you might have a customer come in, potential customer, and say, we know exactly what applications we want to sunset. We want you to come in and help us do the work. But they could also have some – you could also have someone come in and say, we don't know. We know we have too much stuff, but we're not even sure how to figure out what to get rid of. We want you to come in and do that. Do you do both types of work? We do, yep. Um, it, during our pre-sale process, a lot of our discovery will help with that. So exactly like you mentioned, a lot of times we'll be involved with some larger health systems that some are centralized and very organized and have all of that uh, in their inventory portfolio system. So it's readily available, but I'd say a good majority don't, to your point. They're through mergers and acquisitions. They may not even know who their counterparts are in the facilities. But a lot of times we'll provide that kind of glue uh, to help kind of rationalize and provide some best practice of a how to go about gathering the inventory and then rationalizing and prioritizing that inventory for them. So absolutely. And what kind of information are you collecting? You need to know the contract, where who purchased it, how long, what's the agreement? Like you need to actually see the contract because you say, okay, we don't need this, but you're stuck with this for a long time, right? Yeah, a lot of times we'll help with certain customers may not know how to negotiate with their source vendor. So just because their original contract says one thing doesn't mean that they can't renegotiate. Uh, so a lot of times we'll help with that. Um, could be things like it's becoming a little bit more prevalent around what, what um, data blocking. If you're familiar with the Cures Act that's come out, some vendors will charge exorbitant amounts to their customers to get the data from that source vendor if, if we have to basically go to the vendor. A lot of times we try to do all the extraction work ourselves to minimize that cost for our customers, but uh, things like exactly like you said, maintenance renewals, costs of renewals, um, anything that might be hidden around that. Uh, infrastructure stability is key. A lot of source systems that we see are 20 years plus old. So they're very uh, fragile, I guess you'd say, the original environment. So there's a concern that if it's shut down uh, or goes down, we may not be able to bring that back up and depending on the data, specifically clinical, uh, as you'd imagine, you know, very critical for patient care still. So you know, you look at things like that. So maybe there might be a cost driver for one, but another one might be the stability of the system and it might have a smaller renewal maintenance fee, but that's gotta come first because we need to get that off the inventory. Uh, then we go down to softer things like, do I have any expertise around that source application before they may leave or transition to positions as an example? Uh, you know, there's, again, we've got a tool that kind of helps our customers walk through that if they haven't done that rationalization and prioritization on their own. Dave, it's very interesting uh, what Jim said about uh, contracts. Uh, so your thoughts, you answer, you could just address the question on the screen, um, but also from what Jim was saying, a contract is not a contract, right? I mean, you you could see it and you could say, let's say it was there before you got there and you see it and you go, oh, this is extreme. I can't believe we signed this, right? So yeah. you can talk to the vendor. The vendors can, you could say, listen, uh, can we renegotiate this? Or this is not what I'm interested in. You might get an answer. Oh, no problem. You never know, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, in my, in my experience, uh, the, the vendor community, you know, let, let me start to say referrals are really, really important. Right. And I think, you know, having worked in the vendor space, referrals are a critical item. And, and so I think within that you want happy customers and, and you want happy former customers. Right. So I think that makes, uh, just from that basis, that makes any contract, uh, negotiable. All right, let's let's talk about this, right? Because really, what what we're talking about here is a relationship, and we want to do everything we can to keep, uh, you know, who we have. We want to keep you as a customer, and we want to keep good relations there. But as as well, you know, if if you need to adjust something, and if that adjustment ultimately leads to us us leaving, we still want to have happy former happy former customers. So I think everyone being reasonable and. You know, I, I know myself, um, you know, the way I try and approach it as well is that everyone's trying to make a living. Right. And, and I don't um, I, I never approach uh, my relationship with vendors as an adversarial one. Um, you know, I'm trying to do a job. They're trying to do a job. I've got you know, I've got uh, uh, goals and uh, objectives and, and you know, including uh, um, expense reduction and, and meeting payroll, et cetera, as does whoever, you know, I am, I'm, I'm negotiating with on the other side, you know, whether it be a small business or a large business. And at the end of the day, everyone wants to do well. And I think as long as you keep that, that in mind, uh, things are negotiable. And you would say in general, you receive that same kind of feeling back. What percentage of the time have you felt, wow, this vendor does, they're, they're, they don't care. They don't care what I'm saying. Is that very rare? I think that is, I think that is very rare. Um, and the only thing that's coming to my mind right now these, these days, Anthony, is uh, um, upfront uh, in negotiating the contract upfront when you're dealing with the lawyers uh, from the organization, which, which frankly tend to be, and then usually the large organizations, and I won't, I won't mention one that's coming to my mind right now, but the lawyers, <laughs> the lawyers are kind of off in their island, like, you know, no, here's what we're doing this. And you're, you're having a great time with the account team. And they're like, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'll try to go to bat. I, I understand and try to go to bat. And then the lawyers, the lawyers don't care. I think, um, as long as it's not that situation, I think if the, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, not giant, right? They're, 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 they're big, but they're not, they're not giant, meaning, you know, I have market cap over a trillion dollars. You can generally have a conversation with them. Yeah. I guess they, they, uh, size out of that at some point. I think they do size out of that at some point. I think, yeah. <laughs> very good. Very good. All right, Jim, we're going to uh, start with you on this question. Once an organization has decided what applications are going to be sunset, what are some techniques for doing so in a cost-effective manner? One of them, I'm sure, is calling Harmony, but in general. Yeah, I think, um, again, our, our approach is to look for the best solution for the client. So a lot of times um, the archival market's relatively new. It's getting more populated by the day. Uh, but as we kind of were pioneers, the thought of archiving really was not a available solution to a lot of our customers. So their past historic kind of point of reference was I need to migrate data. So um, kind of over the years, we've kind of came to best of breed solution and recommendation around best practices around what should be migrated and migrated successfully versus what could extend a, you know, what's already an expensive and time consuming and, uh, you know, labor intensive process to going, well, let's, let's do, you know, a certain set of migration of data but then follow that with a comprehensive archive. So that usually puts providers at ease, meaning they're 
they're looking at, I need to provide care to patients and I need to make sure that I have the data that was in my comfortable legacy application that I used for years. Uh, once they see that an archive can provide that same level of comfort and with ease around uh, things like single sign-on from their core application, that level of entry for migration has gone down somewhat significantly. We still do full comprehensive data migrations uh, in combination with archivals, but we've seen that kind of reduce over the, the last couple of years. Uh, so definitely that's a cost effective savings. You know, again, migration can be very costly, time consuming, frustrating, uh, if not done well and properly. Um, as well as more in, intensively is the labor and, and cost of time for the, the team on the other end that's doing the work. Again, everybody's, you know, again, with what, what we just talked about the last X minutes, um, we don't have time. The clients don't have time for the resources. They're already strapped on key kind of tier one activities. Uh, things like bringing their core EHRs live and upgrades and, and all the things for patient care. Uh, we kind of consider, you know, a migrations and an archival kind of a second or third tier project. So we're always kind of searching for how we can minimize labor effort and cost for our customers and take on that burden ourselves for them. Uh, so things like, you know, again, labor augmentation that we might be able to provide, again, recommendations around best practices to what might be a very you know, lengthy process to something that could be you know, months shorter. Uh, again, anytime we can reduce project lifecycle time, uh, it's a benefit for both our organization and our customers, certainly. Um, among that, again, a couple of, couple of items there for cost-effective me measures. And Anthony, if I- Very good, okay, Dave. I, I, yeah, can I follow up on that? Because I think Jim's point there in terms of uh, the, the project management is a critical one. You know, in my budget, and I think any any IT budget, maintenance is a is a big item. It's 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 your second it's your second though line item in terms of cost. Your your personnel cost is always your largest cost, uh, and there's competition there's competition for that time, um, et cetera. So we're just finishing up at at my current organization at Children's our first archiving archiving project and. Um, you know, I, I think in the first, you want to make sure that first one that you do is your is your template uh, for how we do all of the rest so that that in each one of them, you can get it done more efficiently. So uh, as we're going live on this, you know, do your do your after action or your post project analysis, what could have gone differently implement the things that um, would make it go better the, the next time, try to try to cut 10, 15% of time out of that project, do it again, and, and then do the same after action and can keep do the continuous improvement on it so that you can make them go very quickly. And I think that's, that's a critical item in terms of doing it in a cost-effective manner. Excellent, Dave Laurie. Yeah, so uh, here at Northern Light Health, we actually have a a capital program running to do this application rationalization work where we have 250 items on our list of applications that we are uh, decommissioning with a large majority of those going into the archive. Um, so this is really uh, relevant to us, you know, as as you heard earlier, it's so important to have strong governance. And I'd say in my experience running this program, that's been the most important factor, you know, making sure your leadership really understands what application rationalization is and what legacy data management is so that they can speak to it um, and support it, especially when those tough conversations come up. 
um, early on, the most important decision that our governing body made was to um, decide on an enterprise data storage system. So we selected Harmony. And when you have a, a program like Harmony, you can, make, you can store both your clinical and your financial data. So this, um, it becomes the expectation in the organization that your historical data is going to go there and become available to all end users so that it doesn't live on in silos. And I'd say the other thing, the most important other thing is, you know, also mention is to have a really well-defined repeatable process. And, and like Dave said, you know, after we did the first 10 applications or so, we, we refined that and revised it, added some things to it. Um, and that whole process needs to be really understood and communicated with both um, your other IT departments that are going to be involved, like your infrastructure teams, um, and with the customers. So we actually have a checklist that every application is run through um, from large topics like whether or not we need to archive the data to the often forgotten things like removing links from intranet pages. Um, so that repeatable process, is, it's, it's critical. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that, I think, uh, Lori, that goes for just about every everything in business and everything in <laughs> life that we do over and over again. And I found that to be the absolute key to to our business here. Um, and one point that I want to—I'm uh, guessing you're going to agree with—is that you know you talked about a well-defined, repeatable process. That's true, but it's also true that that is never finished being defined, right? It's always so continually true. being improved, right? <laughs> right. You got to keep yep. going back to the original recipe and tweaking it. Add that one step that now makes it better. So, any more you want to say about that? No, just the making sure, you know, I, I have a fantastic team and they they run applications through this checklist. And once they got familiar with kind of the whole the whole way this worked, they would they were able to go through the checklist much faster and say, well, this doesn't apply in this situation or this doesn't apply to this type of data and so forth. So they they got more efficient themselves the more they did it. So yeah, the checklist is very long, but not everything applies every time. Right. So that's another nuance in this type of thing is the variables um, that have to be taken into account. All very interesting. Um, next question, Dave, let's start with you. What are some of the hard and soft cost savings that you've seen from archiving legacy systems? Yeah, so the hard costs, I think we've, we've talked about those, those somewhat. So you've got, you've got your maintenance costs that you can eliminate. I think there's the uh, cost of storage, the data center, you know, type type costs that you have, and those those are those are hard. Some of them are a little. You get into some areas where you know when I ask the guys, um, you know, what what costs are we savings here? They get a little obscure because uh, if it's a system that's been virtualized, and then you're just freeing up space on a virtual system, or sometimes they're cloud-based systems, um, you know, you don't have those. It's it's you're you're lucky from a, at least calculating it if it's a standalone system on its own hardware that you can de decommission and get rid of. So I think those are those are probably easy for for everyone in the audience to to figure out. Um, from a soft cost point, soft cost standpoint, I think that you know there you get into it just it just the the drag and the time it takes of having all of those applications in the portfolio. Um, you know, there's the all of the time patching systems, for instance, right? So if you have a, a system around and you haven't archived it. Uh, and people are still accessing it, you know, from a from a security standpoint, you're still going to want to patch there, right? Because you want you don't want that vulnerability there, and that's that's a it's a it's a hard slash soft soft cost that you you have to 
you have to deal with and you can eliminate that that cost um, having expertise around like maintaining expertise and run into occasions sometimes like where right, well if bob goes bob's the only guy that knows xyz system what are we going to do about that so you, you you start to you know reduce your your you know, load on on that from a soft cost standpoint but then you know you get into your risks, right? And and you have risks off cost. And and I can, can recall an instance where, you know, one of the places I was at, we had acquired physician practices. It may maybe like you know Lori's situation where she mentioned all the EMRs, but many different physician practices over the years and small physician practices. And when I got there, there were um, a lot of EMRs that were in the portfolio and. Uh, and, and with electronic medical records, with, with financial information, those kinds of things. And it turns out they were often still sitting in the physician practice and often they were still under the office manager's desk, right? <laughs> so yeah. you've, got, you've got risk there. And, and if you, all right, we got to do something about that. And if you can archive it, get rid of that hardware, um, you know, that, then you're reducing a, a, an un, almost an uncalculable risk uh, if one of those things were to find legs and someone gained access to it and put it out on the internet, those kinds of things. Very good, Lori. Well, so in addition to the things that Dave just mentioned, I'd say the most important soft cost, which I, you could quantify it if you tried, um, but it's the value of the clinician's time that they spend when they're searching for information about a patient. When you don't have all your data in one place, like a Harmony Data Archive, then um, you know your clinicians have to remember logins to the old EMR. They have to remember how to navigate through them, or you know they might need to look in this one and two or three others to get the complete picture. So really, the time that you save the clinician from going and searching for that, especially you know Jim mentioned earlier that the access from the EHR, we we have that set up so that our clinicians don't even have to leave the EHR they're working in to access this historical data, all the data available throughout our system in one place for that patient. So that's really huge, how valuable that time saver is for those clinicians. And Anthony, I'll add Jim? to you um, just real quick before we move off this topic. And another one is the often, it's usually a cost center, but the HIM team. So as Dave mentioned, picture you know, an HIM resource looking for Jane Doe's records and they've got a hundred different applications. I might have to go to a Citrix login. I might have to actually call a practice because it's under their desk. It could be, you name it, anywhere, you know, in a very significant ROI request could take the better part of a day in some cases in those situations. So uh, in the archival world, it's literally a click away and instantly within five minutes, you have all those records in a central location. So the cost involved, we've actually had customers who've gone back and negotiated some of those third-party contracts with HIM outsourcing firms to go, look, your, your, you know, your labor effort isn't what it used to be. We need to renegotiate our contracts for that, that, those fees. So some really, you know, again, some hidden back office costs that don't really get the, you know, the upfront clinician type cost savings uh, and benefits, but uh, definitely it adds up pretty quick. Thank you, Jim. Very good. All right, uh, Lori, let's start with you. Uh, Dave touched on this a little bit, but what are the security considerations that must be taken into account when sunsetting applications and what are some of the hidden dangers or costs that can be overlooked? 
Well, you know, the the biggest obvious security considerations are that m many of these old applications sit on servers that are, you know, 2008, 2003. We just took care of a server 2000 <laughs> application the other day. So, you know, from a security risk perspective, you don't want these servers in your organization. So that's one of the one of the things that we're doing to contribute to our, our security risk position uh, is by eliminating these. We My team comes along, we suck the data out of them, we put them in harmony with the harmony team and then we can retire these old applications um, some of the dangers that might be overlooked or costs is that well let me just say you got to have a really strong partnership with your compliance team and your legal team and your organization to make sure you really understand what the re retention requirements are for this data what your policies are about preserving um, business data that might not be required by a regulatory agency, but are needed for a business purpose. And to make sure that, you know, you understand that up front before you get into the middle of retiring an application and you didn't have money set aside for preserving the data, you know, that it's so important to have that relationship with the compliance and security team. Any advice there, Lori, on um, having those relationships, maintaining those relationships, getting the kind of interaction that you need from those people in those departments? What are, how have you managed to do it? Really by just including them in the conversation, um, having them on our governing body. Uh, a compliance officer was out of the team of compliance, one was assigned to be our liaison. And anytime we have a question or any sort of red flag or anything, we go to him, he's willing to talk to us. It's been a huge help. Um, so just, you know, establishing early on those relationships and showing that you're helping, you're helping um, improve the risk position. Um, and we're, we're on the same team. It's, it's just great. Very good, Jim. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, additionally, interestingly enough, in the world of EHRs, a lot of core vendors don't have the ability to uh, do what we you know, would call purging. So the retention rule sets, um, some of the document management systems do, but a lot of the EHRs and other systems don't. So uh, as, as Lori mentioned, governance around what, what the team's retention policies are. We have a lot of customers that say until the top two, you know, predominant players in the market are able to purge, we're not going to purge anything. Conversely, we have other clients that as soon as it's able to be, you know, removed from the application of the archive, they want to do that. So having the ability to have a purge rules engine, the capability of doing that selectively, uh, in some cases by application, just blood bank data as an, as an example has to be retained perpetually, but flip side, a lot of other data might need to be only kept seven years as an example. So uh, that as well as a strong relationship of that governance team, as Lori mentioned, with compliance, uh, who a lot of times are in the pre-sale kind of discovery vetting process, but then they might slip away and not get enacted. Uh, but as Lori said, we, we definitely look for those folks to be on the compliance team because it helps those discussions later when that, those time that, that comes up. Very good, Dave. Yeah, well, well I think, um, you know, first of all, I'd say that, that archiving is definitely a security play. I think you move from an unknown to a known uh, unknown in, in the applications, where are they, who are they using them to it, to a known, which is great. I think you move from an unmanaged to a managed. So both of those, both of those things make it a great security play. Um, and then I think in addition to what Lori and, and uh, Jim already, already mentioned, uh, getting your access right. 
So who needs to access the information uh, and why do they need to access it? And what exactly do they need to access it? And then keeping track of it and then getting it into your normal normal access management process so that uh, you're tightly managing it. Dave, anything on the, the relationships, the key relationships, uh, you know, we mentioned legal compliance, security. Um, do you have a CISO over there? Do you have to get a lot of people at the table at the same time, so to speak, to make sure this is being handled right? You know, I think I think ideally, yeah, yeah, you you do, and I th- I think the the compliance on an ongoing basis, specific questions about a specific application, I think think all right from a from an infosec standpoint. I think infosec is going to be heavily involved up front. Uh, so so where is the archive? Where is how is it protected? Um, who has access to it? Uh, what's the ongoing uh, security stance and, and provisioning from the from your vendor? Um, is it on-prem or in the cloud? I think so. There's a lot of heavy involvement up up front from from security, and, and then I think after that, then I think access management becomes the 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 game uh, the game in that. And then on, on uh, I think a good program is I continually like to I got schooled in this some years ago. Um, <laughs> test, test yourself, right? So have have not yourself, have not your infosec team test how you're doing in that space, but have an external party come in and continually audit you and test you. Uh, and I think in that, making sure that the archive is part of that program and it's it's you know on a uh, periodic basis getting tested. I think that's a good thing. All right, very good. We're gonna go do our audience poll. Uh, and let me launch that and let's take a look at that. If everyone would answer that, the panelists can answer as well. Sunsetting applications successfully is as much a political challenge as a technology challenge because nobody wants to give up what they are used to. So um, do you agree or disagree with that? And that is the poll question. So if everyone would take a minute to answer that, we will uh, take a look at those results in a few minutes. Um, so while we're doing that, while everyone's answering, um, let's do our Ask a Co-Panelist. Jim, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Dave and or Lori a question. Yeah, uh, good, good. I appreciate it. Um, I think as a lot of customers are, potential customers are kind of aligning with their strategy for archival, uh, do you guys have any guidance as to how to start that process to get through the hurdles of approval um, both from a budgeting perspective, governance, and, and any other challenge that you might have overcome, any guidance or coaching that you might be able to provide the panelists? For, uh, uh, Dave, any- Dave, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I'll go first on that. So, you know, I, I like to think of um, our, our budgeting process is that's the time to really try to get, get things done. And you present your, here's what we're going to do. So we're moving it. We're in August of 20. We're getting into 21 budget planning right now. Um, and so we're focused as a team on, on identifying our IT core Core projects, our core initiatives, and and with that, it's it's the the uh, any expense or capital that we may need for that. But then it's time that we may need for that. Um, and uh, from an archiving standpoint, those things should fit fit in there. And if you don't fit them in there up front, then I and you try to do it within the year, Jim, I think that you run into a harder problem because because it's not going to be something that your your end users are pressing you for. 
for the most part. For the most part, it's going to be uh, you're pressing it because it is a uh, it's a sound business setup for the organization as a steward for the organization. It's a sound business practice, you know, for managing the technology. And so you need to press that. And I think the best time to press that is when you get your budget approved and get it get it locked in. Lori, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, in our experience, um, you know, we recognized early on because of the way we grew as a system where we, um, hospitals joined us and brought a lot of systems with us. We knew we had a lot of redundant systems and we knew that we needed to take care of that. But in IT, it we didn't have the right story to tell. Um, you know, we we recognized and had a lot of enthusiasm in IT that this was what we wanted to do. But it wasn't until we really put together a program and demonstrated over a five-year period that this had substantial um, savings from an operations perspective that that was what um, allowed us to get momentum with hospital leadership and to get them to fund fund the program. So I'd say um, organizing it as a program is really uh, going to get you further than perhaps just trying to take it year by year and requesting capital for this system or that system on a one-off basis. All right, very good. All right, we're going to take a look at our audience poll now. So I'm going to have each of our panelists guess at the agree percentage, that's what we're guessing. At what percentage agreed with this statement, sunsetting application successfully is as much a political challenge as a technology challenge because nobody wants to give up what they are used to. So percentage agree. Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot, make you go first. I'll go, I'll go high. I'll say 75%. 75%. Dave? 91%. <laughs> 91%. That's bold. Lori? I'll come in low at 60%. 60%. Well, the answer, and we'll share the results now, 95%. Dave <laughs> is the clear winner. It's even higher. And it's important not so to go that, because if I said 96, then I lose, right? So yeah, I gotta get right, that's right. Like the price is right. But that's pretty high, 95%. So most people think that that is as much a challenge, the political aspect, as the technology challenge. Very Interesting. All right, I want to get um, an audience question in front of you first. Dave, I'm going to throw this out to you first. How are data access requirements met after archiving data, specifically in the case when auditors want to see data in the same format as they used to see it before in the old application? Oh, well, I think that that goes back to the project, right? And I think Jim may be the best one to answer that because he's probably dealt with it a thousand times. But I think that goes back to the the project. And and within the project, you you define that up front. And that's where that's one of the reasons why it's good to have your, your compliance folks involved from the get go, because you, you try to anticipate uh, those those types of activities. And I think in those types of activities, you might have a couple of different ways to, to go. And you, you test me, Jim, if I'm wrong, right there. You check me if I'm right. One might be um, with your, your, your legal and your compliant folks, they could say, look, uh, well, here's why we don't need to do that, right? And, and if there, there's those instances, you do it the easier way. But if the answer is, well, here's why we need to do that, then I think you have to uh, get as close as you can to see, seeing it in that unaltered, unaltered state, and then you make sure that you're working with the vendor that can pull that off for you. 
Jim, am I close on that? Yeah, I would agree, Dave. Um, and a lot of times it's really to, to, to both panelists' point, Dave and, and Lori, uh, early compliance involvement will help through that. So we spend a lot of time in our pre-statement of work discovery phase to show even source application uh, equivalence. So if you pick a vendor, here's what it's going to look like as a final disposition decommissioned archive to get buy-in and kind of pre-sign off even before we kick the project off. So we can do that with a lot of the common applications we've, we've seen many, many times as an example. Uh, and then there's technology, you know, how do you show chain of custody all the way through the archival process? And as long as you can do that, it's, it's pretty bulletproof. So knock on wood, uh, you know, we've never had a problem meeting an audit, you know, ever. Uh, and a lot of that's due to that pretty, pretty heavy involvement process uh, from the get-go. Because again, all we need to do is shut down one system and miss and have a miss and, you know, we've got problems. So uh, we've got safety measures in, involved there too. So things like storage of raw data for a period of time uh, so that if there is a mistake, meaning, you know, Jane Doe is the person who says we don't need to archive data, but Tim Smith comes in later and goes, I don't know what they were thinking. We have the ability to go back to that source to, to basically make the archive whole. Doesn't use used it often. I think we've done that once in the last three years, uh, but knowing that that safety net is there also helps in that regard. Um, uh, knock on wood, like I said, no challenge around audits to uh, to our knowledge. Lori, anything you want to chime in with there? Well, you, you know, just that even if even though the data doesn't look exactly the same in the archive as it did from the original EMR it was in. You know, you have the opportunity to to map the fields and and the the layout of the the tabs, if you will, in a manner that reflects the EMR that it came from, so that it has a similar feel um, in the Harmony Data Archives. That was that was one of the reasons why we chose it. Actually, is you know that that ability to to make it feel as if it was very similar to the original EMR. So I think that can help the auditors as well when they see that, you know, it might not look exactly the same, but the layout of the data is is almost the same, that that, that helps with that conversation. Very good. And Lori, do you happen to have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Well, um, maybe Dave, I'll throw you what's hopefully a softball. Um, you know, yeah. as a, <laughs> that's not fair. Give him a hard time. Uh, as a CIO, you know, um, it's it's very important to be able to tie IT projects into larger organizational goals. So, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you could convince? Uh, organizational leadership that a program that's as boring as le legacy data preservation <laughs> supports, you know, healthcare imperatives like the triple aim or others. Yeah, happy to. So I'll just, it's a, it's a philosophy that, that I have, Lori, that um, stewardship. And so in the, in the program that we have uh, as, as IT professionals, stewardship, I think needs to be very high on the list. And, and, and I think about the, the amount of time that I've been in IT and there was, a, there was a point in time where we were a very small part of any health system's budget, you know, maybe a half a percent, definitely less than a percent. It was a small thing, right? And now we're a big, we're a big chunk of the budget. And in a multi-hospital system, Lori, I, I mean, if you probably laid out the IT budget against some of your hospitals, you might find that your IT budget is larger than some of the hospitals, 
on an annual on an annual basis. And so I think stewardship's really important on that. And, and as well, we're in a high tech business. So in that high tech business, um, you, you need resources to be able to go in and uh, uh, update, uh, modernize, bring new features to, to the enterprise. And, and so you need capital, you need expense to do that. And I think this where stewardship comes in is, uh, you know, so I don't want to keep asking for a dollar every time I need to do something new, right? I want to, I want to ask for 50 cents or I want to ask for 30 cents because throughout the year I've been able to eliminate expense. So, you know, and, and it's just pretty difficult to come in flat year over year because you have things like a salaries are going up, et cetera. But if you're very active in eliminating expense, that is creating a, a pennies on the dollar opportunity to bring in new technology for the organization. And I think uh, I would suspect, Lori, in your program of your, your archiving program, um, you, you could probably be doing calculations on the, the great stewardship that that is and then and then how that can help fund innovation at, at Northern Light Healthcare. That's that's how I would how I would pitch it. Thank you. Good, Lori. Good. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Listen, we are almost out of time. Jim, I want to give you a final opportunity or some parting thoughts. Uh, any of the IT executives from hospital or health systems on the line. Final thoughts, piece of advice. They're grappling with this. They want to reduce their, they want to do what Lori called application rationalization. Uh, it can be an intimidating project maybe before you get into it, just looking at the scope of it. Someone saying, I don't even know what I have. Uh, it can, you know, can, can give you uh, night sweats maybe. So your, your best advice to make them feel better. Yeah, I think uh, like I started off, um, the, the selection of the correct vendor is a really important thing to do. So somebody who's been around the block, you know, 50, 100,000 times uh, is really important to pick a partner to help, you know, and, and expedite, if you will, some of those challenges so that as a, as a new journey member to archival or migration, you're not alone. So again, there's, there's days, priorities, and archival is not necessarily the top of the heap. So, uh, you know, as you're looking, certainly I would say lean on your vendor for that expertise, um, you know, to that end. Uh, and the outcome can be most expeditious, you know, versus something that could turn into something that's laborious or in, in some, some cases failed attempts. So, uh, do due diligence. Uh, certainly, you know, I would definitely recommend highly referral checks. Uh, Lori and Dave and the like, uh, our customers are the best people to judge our capabilities uh, or others in the marketplace. And I certainly would lean on that as, as most do already, but uh, don't take it lightly. Um, you know, it, it's still a enterprise level project. Um, and we find that some customers underestimate kind of what the uh, what that program should look like. And I think the guidance that Lori and Dave gave here today, you know, certainly supports that and gives some really good uh, foundational, you know, help to making that journey successful. So appreciate everybody's time in, in the panel here, as well as uh, everybody uh, who's participated today. Yeah, great, uh, Jim. And I, I think Dave's comments uh, to Lori's question about stewardship, positioning the work and justification of doing the work as proper stewardship um, and saving you money to be able to focus on innovation was uh, was really excellent and spot on, Dave. So thank you for that. Um, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. 
If you want to sponsor an event with Health System CIO, you can reach out to Nancy from our team. You can go to our, our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank Dave Lundell, Lori Page, Santa Cruz, and Jim Hammer for participating. And I want to thank Harmony I Healthcare IT for making this event possible. And I want to thank you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you.